You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, listeners. Welcome to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. I'm Dr. Ann Schiebert coming to you from Northern California where it is a rainy January morning and I'm sitting here with a cup of coffee and I hope you are too or tea or whatever you like. Today we're going to discuss an issue that has caused anger, upset, and discontent for so many people. We're going to talk about those folks who irritate us because they cannot follow through. They are forgetful. They lose things. They don't pay attention. They constantly interrupt. And they are so often clumsy. And no, we're not talking about little kids. We're talking about adults. Can you guess what the topic is for today? Well, before you guess, I want to tell you a true story. I love this story because it happens so often. I once had a couple who sought my counsel because the husband was angry that their house was a mess, everything was disorganized, the children's toys were never put away, and the laundry was put in a basket and never folded. This husband was furious because his wife was a stay-at-home mom, and he thought she was being intentionally lazy. He actually stated that he thought his wife was watching Dr. Phil all day. Such a statement infuriated his wife so much that she was considering getting a divorce from her husband. She didn't like his judgments. She felt demeaned and insulted. She explained that she tried to be organized but found it almost impossible all day long. She would go from one thing to another. She would start a task and get distracted by another job that had to be done. She would stop the first task and focus on the second. So on and so on. Can you imagine how frustrating that was for her? Obviously, whatever was going on with my patient's wife was causing a huge relationship problem. He thought his wife was lazy and she thought her husband was a judgmental, critical dork. And let's face it, no matter who you are, it's hard to be with a dork. Yes, it is. But what happened? I'm going to let you know, but can you guess his wife's diagnosis? For years, the clinical community didn't have a vocabulary with which to describe this condition. Luckily, we now have diagnostic criteria and the treatment for what is called attention deficit disorder and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And today we have a specialist in both of those. Dr. Casey Broadhead is a clinical psychologist at one of the country's most influential and well-known HMOs. He is a graduate of the Stanford PsyD Consortium and chief psychologist in the assessment and treatment for ADD and ADHD at the medical center where he works. It is my great honor to introduce to my listeners Dr. Casey Broadhead. And Casey, may I call you Casey? Absolutely. That's what my mother named me. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we're all curious about ADD and ADHD, and I have personal frustration with it because 
I live with somebody who has ADD, and I wanted to know if you would share with our listeners a little history about ADD and ADHD and how this diagnosis came to be. Absolutely, Anne. Uh, thank you for having me on your show. My so, um, I think one of the funny things about this diagnosis is that it emerges not unlike many other mental health diagnoses with uh, some sort of old-school thinking pattern where it was originally described as a defect in moral control of children. So somehow it always comes to some harsh judgmental terminology like a moral defect in an individual. Um, and it wasn't officially recognized uh, until the about the 1950s when they started producing the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which we call the DSM, effectively our Bible of Mental Health Conditions. And, of course, some of the realizations that this was a treatable and diagnosable disorder came around the idea that medicine could be prescribed to improve uh, the symptoms, which we'll discuss, you know, in a little bit. And then over time, the diagnosis has changed a little bit between, like, the 80s, 90s, and today, um, as far as the criteria that involves um, being diagnosed with this particular condition. Um, one of the things I, I always like to highlight about this condition that I think is interesting historically is there were times where ADHD was not acknowledged at all by, like, the general population. Mental health generally was pretty stigmatized and... ADHD was not uh, as separate from that particular school of thought. So many who struggle with ADHD were just told to try harder or perhaps, you know, depending on how far you rewind back, it was a moral defect even. Um, so now in sort of contemporary culture, ADHD is uh, ironically sought after, and we'll talk about that a bit more. So... One of the things I've found, and I guess I'm at the, at the front end of the history here, is that ADHD is one of the few diagnoses, I think, in the whole medical community that people come into the hospital or my office wanting to have versus <laughs> most people come in, you know, they don't want to have whatever the diagnosis is they're being worked up. They don't want their leg to be broken. They don't want to have cancer. They don't want to have depression. People come to the doctor because they generally want to have ADHD, if only to just validate their struggles in life and confirm what they think they already have. Um, and then we'll talk a bit more about this, but it comes with medication that is sought after for various reasons, sometimes beyond even the scope of an actual diagnosis. So I find that to be... That. <laughs> yeah, I find it plainly ironic that you know, most people who come in are rooting to have this disorder, much like if you went in and you thought you had a sore throat, so you go in and you're not rooting for strep throat. You're hoping that it, you're all clear, rest your voice, you'll be fine in two days. It's the opposite with ADHD. People want the diagnosis, um, and sometimes they can be quite upset if they think they have it, but they don't. And I think I that gets now. into... Yeah, go ahead, yeah. I, I have a couple of questions about that, and just for the listeners... So we're mm -hmm. clear and nobody's confused. ADD stands for Attention Deficit Disorder, and mm -hmm. ADHD has a hyperactivity part to it. Is that right? Correct. And, and again, I'm glad you brought that up because as a tickler for details, that's one of my pet peeves is the 
terminology that we use to describe this diagnosis. So there, this really actually dovetails with your first question about the history because historically it was only called ADD. And then they had a sort of a different flavor, if you will, in mental health we call it a specifier. So they had ADD with hyperactivity and ADD without hyperactivity. And they later changed the umbrella term to actually always be ADHD, and then you have different predominant subtypes. So no matter what, if you have ADHD, you have ADHD, there actually is no ADD. (laughs) We call ADD attention deficit hyperactivity disorder predominantly inattentive presentation. And that is such a mouthful that I say it's easier to say ADD. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. If that wasn't confusing enough. I'm going to separate these a little for our listeners, if that's okay with you. Sure. Yeah, and they are separate and distinct. Yeah, what is the criteria for ADD? So the diagnostic criteria for ADD, which, which again, that long uh, (laughs) paragraph worth of verbiage that I just told you, um, is effectively an inattentive presentation of ADHD. Uh, These folks, uh, generally, if we're going by the manual, they have nine different qualities that tend to define them. And if you have five or more of these nine, then you're considered uh, trending towards meeting criteria. Uh, But we're talking about people who make careless mistakes, people who have difficulty sustaining attention, people who don't listen when you're speaking to them, people who don't follow through, people who can't organize, people who procrastinate or avoid or dislike uh, really mentally taxing tasks. Uh, We're talking about people who lose things, people who are distracted and forgetful. So I, to shorten that, I always think about ADD, which is kind of what we call it on the streets, as a daydreamy, distractible, forgetful, hard to pay attention flavor of this disorder. I love that. So um, just from my own personal experience, I, as I said at the beginning, I Uh live with somebody who has ADD and Everything you said is so accurate. And uh, to sustain a relationship with this person, I've had to be very understanding and forgiving and not count on follow-through like I Mm -hmm. would do it. And that can be very, very frustrating for those of us in a relationship with ADD ADD folks. Now, Casey, what is the criteria for ADHD? I know you've touched on both of these, but... Tell us again, sure. we're lay people. Yeah, and this has a, a much different flavor, although there can be overlap because you can have both. Um, but when you're talking about ADHD, let's say capital H, because we're kind of emphasizing that extra letter in there, we're talking about uh, at, the, at the low level, somebody who's just fidgeting and restless. At a higher level, you know, we're talking about somebody who's, running, climbing, jumping, uh, leaving their seat during situations where remaining seated is expected, sort of a general baseline feeling of restlessness, people who are loud, people who talk a lot, people who blurt out, uh, can't wait their turn in conversations and interrupt or even intrude on others, like borrowing things without asking or butting into conversations. But I think as children, we see this a lot more in sort of a, a motor function, you know, where children, it's, it's the boy who's up on the ceiling, you know, during nap time. 
that's ADHD <laughs> epitomized. Okay, um, <laughs> we but got as an that. adult, yeah, it becomes more of kind of like a restless, bouncing the leg, you know, interrupting. That's sort of a maturational effect where it just doesn't look as overt later on. Well, I doubt that our listeners can remember all that. So I guess what I want to ask you is what are the differences between those two diagnoses and why do they seem lumped together? One is like jumping up on the ceiling and the other is being forgetful and inattentive. Why were those lumped together? That is a a good question, and I don't know if I have the ultimate answer because I didn't write the book on this one, but I think part of it is that there is considerable overlap. So it's rare for someone to completely meet all of one but none of the other. Um, So the umbrella term ADHD allows us to have some wiggle room with kind of capturing folks uh, in some sort of conceptualization. And also, ironically, even though the flavors are so different, the treatments are quite the same. So you're you're looking at interventions that target um, um, multiple expressions of a similar disorder. So uh, there is also another flavor of it called ADHD combined, which literally does include people who meet both sides of those word list of words. Okay, we are going to have two for one deal too. We are going to have to go into a break, Dr. Broadhead, and listeners, we will be back with Dr. Casey Broadhead discussing ADD and ADHD. Happy Oregon homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realoregonhomes.com. That's realoregonhomes.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here with Dr. Casey Broadhead discussing ADD and ADHD, which sound really irritating for those of us who have to live with people with that condition. So, Dr. Broadhead, before the break, we were talking about a blended diagnosis. Would you go back and share that with us? Sure. Um your, your question before I, I went into that was about, you know, how is it possible that we have these two very different sounding expressions under one umbrella term of ADHD? 
Um, and I was adding in that there's actually a third flavor of ADHD that is called a combined presentation. Um, and this is fairly common, that people have overlap between the inattentive type and the hyperactive type. And I jokingly call them the two-for-one combo deal because it is called ADHD combined presentation. So these are people who have, um, you know, sort of rigidly, they have five or more criteria on each side of the diagnosis. So people who are daydreamy, distractible, forgetful, and hyperactive and restless. Uh, and this is a very common expression. Oh, I can't imagine that must be such a burden for those folks. Most definitely, and, and all of those around them. I'll bet. So um, I want to know, what goes into assessing for ADD first, and then I'm going to ask you about assessing for ADHD. So first, what goes into assessing for ADD? Well, I think the, the best way I can answer this just to start off is that I, I don't tend to differentiate between assessing for the two different ones. Most of the tools that we use in the industry are going to capture either or. Um, so I, I think that the outcome, you know, will point us in one direction or the other, but the assessment tools and the methodology remain um, pretty consistent for both. Um, with that said, um, depending on whether you're looking at an adult or a child, it can look a little different, but the most common way to do it is to simply ask somebody uh, the diagnostic criteria and see if they feel like they meet them. It's pretty easy to ask someone, do you, do you often forget things? The key word is often here. That's actually uh, something I left out just for sake of not sounding repetitive. But people must often have these particular symptoms. So, you know, you could do a structured clinical interview and try to figure out if somebody seems to be saying yes to most of these questions. Um, but certainly that would, would not be a thorough form of evaluation. We typically use what we call quantitative measures, which is statistical or math-driven measures, metrics, if you will, uh, where people will fill out surveys, and then they can be compared to their peer group, either by age or gender, and then we can find out if they cross a certain threshold for what we would call clinical or statistical significance. Um, just like there's Pepsi and Coca-Cola, there's different flavors of these ADHD assessments out there, and there's always, you know, a war of who likes which one. Uh, we have uh, sort of gurus in the field, uh, Connors, Barkley, Brown, and these are all, you know, used based on whether the evaluator feels that they're getting more or less out of each measure. Some people use multiple. Uh, well, so these surveys can be given. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to add that these surveys can be given to both the patient, but also we like to get a collateral source of information, which is having a mother fill out something about their child, having a teacher fill out something about the child. If it's an adult, having a partner fill out something about their spouse. Um, and the only other thing I'll add is that uh, we'd like to do uh, a lot of rule-outs, and, and maybe we'll talk, get a chance to talk about this later, but it's possible that you have depression or sleep apnea or a drug addiction. And there are many different things that can look exactly like ADHD but are not ADHD. And part of the evaluation, part of the assessment, is to figure out what's the origin of these symptoms because ADHD can actually be something else. <laughs> uh, well, I bet if you're on meth, you uh, might be hyperactive and not be able exactly. to pay attention. So exactly. You'd have to exactly. rule that out. How, and yeah. how do you... Do that? How do you rule that out? Just by asking um, 
the folks, are you taking drugs or what kind of drugs are you yeah. taking? And, and in fact, we do, the, we do drug tests. Tell you we the ask truth? them. Uh, not always, and that's why we do drug testing. Uh, in a hospital setting, you know, we have a lot of resources. So part of our protocol is every single person pees in a cup. And I like to say it keeps honest people honest. And it also ensures that we're getting uh, what I call baseline data, meaning that we're measuring people's baseline brain chemistry at the time of them filling out the survey or um, engaging in some other tasks that we do, like computer-driven uh, metrics. Uh, we call this genre of test a continuous performance task, which is kind of like a boring video game that they play. And again, we use statistical methodology to compare their performance to others. That's really interesting. I'm it wondering is. if... If, if you would speak a bit about ADD and ADHD and the brain, if one is diagnosed with either of these conditions, which we now know are kind of combined, is their brain different from the brain of those who don't have ADD? Another great question. And I will probably be the first to admit that I'm not a physician, so my understanding of sort of brain and biology is is limited in that sense, that my training is more along the lines of intervention and assessment. Um, what, what I always like to highlight is that if there were some sort of objective measurement, like a blood test or a brain scan, then I'd be out of a job because <laughs> there is none. So it's not that simple. However, there is science and research out there and brain studies that, that do support some differences but I'll be, again, the first to admit that I'm not the pioneer on that science. And I think I also, as far as my read of the literature, I'm aware of a lot of changes. So it seems like every, every year, every month, someone's got a different area of the brain that they've discovered that seems to be the driving force behind ADHD. So my opinion, uh, the research is still out. Really? So, there, so yes. the research has not shown any differences in the brain between a person who has ADHD and is just, uh, you know, kind of, I hate the word normal, but who, and the person who doesn't have those diagnoses. Is that right? Well, I, I believe that, that research can find differences, but I think that we're still lagging behind, like, a true understanding of, of what all the mechanics are. And, and I don't want to downplay the importance of biology here because as we later talk about treatment, uh, most of the treatment is brain chemistry-based through medicine. So we do know that there's a very strong medical component. There's a genetic component. We always look at family history as part of the diagnostic process. So I am always hesitant to talk much about the brain part because, number one, I just didn't go to medical school. Uh, and number two, I see the research changing often. So I think that the, you know, the jury's still out in a sense, but we know there's something there for sure. Um, it's just because been hard to define. medication treats it. Yeah, exactly. So there's something biological, neurobiological going on. Um, but, you know, it changes um, every think, time you look at the literature. I think that's a little bit concerning for me uh, because mm. if I'm giving somebody medication, is it more like a, an experiment? Is that your um, experience to see if it works or... Uh, is it more like, oh, this is this, this diagnosis hangs out and I'll make up something in the amygdala, so I'm going to give that part of the brain something? 
Well, ADHD is, is fairly unique in the sense that there's one intervention and one intervention that works the best, and it is medication. So it's, it's pretty often a sure shot that if you medicate it, it will probably improve. Um, and the double-edged sword here is there's the whole, um, <laughs> I guess you could say epidemic of prescription drug abuse in our country right now that happens to, to sort of overlap a little bit with this diagnosis in terms of people using ADHD medication to uh, have a cognitive boost or a performance enhancement effect, much like a steroid for an athlete. So, you know, we do know that the brain chemistry can be altered. We're looking, again, as a disorder, at a deficiency, but it can also go in the other direction. So, that's um, a little scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's why people may come in wanting to have the diagnosis, as I alluded to earlier, because uh, there is some secondary gain or benefit that can be had with a diagnosis, a.k.a. with a medication. Um, isn't the medication that's usually prescribed a stimulant? Usually, that is correct, and and it is usually the one that works the best. And and I think that's where, in the mental health care field, we're often questioning. You know, if somebody walks in with depression, are we are we going to do therapy? Are we going to do medication? Are we going to do both? Are we going to do one and then the other? With ADHD, it's with adults in particular, it's almost straight to medication because we just know that it works the best. And I think that's good because we have compelling research that one thing and one thing works the best. So we don't have to play, you know, experimenter. Um, but at the same time, it, it does limit our options. And in your experience, Casey, do adults get addicted to the stimulant medication that they're given? From my experience, I, I see overlap between addiction and ADHD, and I think that it's bi-directional. So I see people that have long-term underlying ADHD that use medication to self-medicate. Um, but from my experience, it seems to be less people getting addicted to their ADHD meds and more so people kind of going off the rails with either alcohol or more sedating medications because I think the more bothersome uh, symptom presentation is that hyperactivity restlessness. So people are often using sedatives or downers to try to calm themselves down and rather than taking amphetamines to try to, like, focus themselves. Well, so okay, well, there certainly is a risk there. Yeah, there certainly is a risk there. You were talking about a controlled substance, something that's abusable and addictive. Um, however, I think the more legitimate cases of ADHD is we're not seeing... Um, from my work, and I happen to also work in a rehab, um, but I'm not seeing people that have just been, like, wrongly prescribed ADHD meds and then getting strung out on stimulants. It just hasn't been my experience, anecdotally. <laughs> that is very comforting because... It is, it is. I can't think of anything worse than coming in with an ADD uh, diagnosis and then becoming addicted to the medication that you were prescribed. That that would be really upsetting, I think, for the public in general. And oh, most coming definitely, up, yeah. Pardon? Oh, I was, I was agreeing with you, most definitely. Yeah. So we're coming up on a break, Dr. Broadhead, and um, okay. listeners, we will be right back investigating this fascinating topic about ADD and ADHD. 
If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. On the America's Broadcast Network.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here this morning with Dr. Casey Broadhead discussing ADD or ADHD, whatever you want to label it. They are two different diagnoses, though, kind of blended together. So, Dr. Broadhead, I heard that you mainly treat adults. Is that correct? I guess the word mainly would be the operative word because I I do work with children as well, uh, specifically age six and up related to this diagnosis and other evaluations. But mainly, I guess if you looked at the math, mainly I work with adults. Well, we're going to focus on adults I do have sure. one yeah. of your uh, cohorts coming on, I think, in March or April, talking about child ADD and ADHD. And I oh, perfect. That that's a very frustrating for parents to have uh, a child who is hyperactive and can't focus. But back to adults. I'm so curious about what the treatment op- um, options are for adults that are diagnosed with ADD or ADHD or the, or the combination of that? You, you well, about medication. So, yeah, I mean, medication is pretty much the primo first-line defense um, for adults. And the reason I say that is that most adults have attempted these so-called behavioral, environmental, educational type of interventions. And by those sort of human interventions, I'm referring to structure, organization, uh, setting up systems, checks and balances. An easy example is like if you forget to pay your bills, put your bills on auto pay. Now all of a sudden you don't have a attention problem getting in the way of your bill payment. You know, so you can use these so-called, you know, systems and behavioral interventions, you know, uh, 
outside of a medication. I have an easy example I like to give to my patients. I say, are you better off reading in a busy Starbucks or a quiet library? Pick one. It's going to be one or the other, most likely. And it's interesting, the responses that you hear. Some people need a little buzz in the background, and some people cannot handle a little buzz in the background. So tuning your environment is really key here. Um, we think about, you know, with children, it's, are they sitting in the front of the class or the back of the class? Um, you know, are you fidgeting? Are you watching YouTube while you're trying to do your homework? You know, these kinds of things uh, can be controlled through environmental interventions. Uh, but when you're an adult, the, the, the hope is that adults have mostly tried all this and they're still struggling and they're still coming and asking for help. Uh, and that's where the psychiatrist role comes in. And then do you guide them in how to set up these controls or um, giving them ideas about how to monitor how they pay bills, or do they have to come up with that by themselves? There's a significant amount of self-help literature that tends to be the, the primary means by which that knowledge is delivered. Um, so, you know, there are sort of pop culture books, you know, ADHD for idiots or whatever they call it this this year. For dummies. Um, but they, for dummies. Oh, yeah. Sorry, the idiots are the computer books. Um, so, <laughs> the idiot's guide to Apple. So, um, you know, there, there is a significant amount of literature out there. There are community support groups. There's a great group out there. I have no affiliation with them at all, but they're called CHAD, C-H-A-D-D. And they run peer-led community support groups for people struggling with ADHD. Um, they also have groups for parents of children with ADHD. So they're kind of like a hub. Uh, they have a national presence. They have local meetings. They have recommended literature. They review the science. Um, so, so they tend to be a, a common referral just because they're free. Um, so it, you know, doesn't your medical benefits don't come in the way of being able to access their offerings. So Chad is, is a good one out there. We like them. Yeah, what a great organization, C-H-A-D-D, and you can find that probably by Googling it in your area. Most definitely, and I jokingly call it, if you're familiar with, with chemical dependency and recovery, um, I call it AA for ADHD. <laughs> so it's, it's people with ADHD helping people with ADHD, so you can imagine what the meeting's like. It's a little disorganized. Um, but, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. it for adults only? You know, I believe that it's for all involved, but I think most of the interventions are happening for adults. Okay. Um, I wish they had something for teens and that kind of thing. They may. I'm just out of out of rehearsal on on making that kind of recommendation. Just because in the primary place I work, I'm I'm only working with adults. So <laughs> I right, mentioned the right. group, and it's the group for the adults. And well, I, I think one question. of the other. Go ahead. I was going to say one of the other things that, that's, that's sort of funny but also sad about this diagnosis is that the symptoms of the diagnosis prevent people from, from accessing these interventions. So, for example, I work at a, a large hospital setting, and we used to have a class for ADHD. But the irony was nobody went. They went to the wrong building. They came late, and they didn't do their homework. So they scrapped the class due to low utilization. So I, I, I see that as sort of an interesting but kind of sad part of the diagnosis that we do have, you know, interventions and curriculum that we can roll out, but the actual symptoms themselves prevent people from accessing those types of interventions. 
Uh, oh. So that's just my final point on the non-medication interventions is that is that it's just sort of by proxy the way that the diagnosis works. People somehow can't find a way to utilize these resources. Yeah, that's understandable. Now, yeah. I know so many people who drink five-hour energy drinks by the gallon, and they can't mm-hmm. sit still or pay attention to much of anything. How can you tell if it's caffeine or ADD, ADHD? Well, one of the sort of hallmarks of ADHD is that it responds well to stimulant medication, and that is not limited to just pharmaceuticals. So many people with ADHD find themselves um, sort of through probably some sort of evolutionary or adaptive means um, gravitating towards using caffeine as a means to self-medicate. So, you know, we see people guzzling coffee and focusing themselves with the coffee, someone who has a sort of classic presentation of ADHD is going to ingest a stimulant and calm down or find a focusing, perhaps even sedating effect. So one of the questions we ask in all of my evaluations is, what is the effect of caffeine when you ingest it? Um, It's not necessarily ultimately diagnostic, you know, otherwise we would just ask that question only. But it's quite common for people who are all jacked up on caffeine um, to not necessarily meet criteria for ADHD, among other questions answered. And people who take it and have either no effect or a sedating effect or they could have a big coffee and go right to sleep afterwards, take it or leave it, those folks tend to fall more in an ADHD category. And that's just, again, anecdotally, but it seems to be true and it dovetails with the medication intervention. Hmm. So really one way I can, yeah, I could sell this point home by saying it in this context. So if you imagine the classic hyperactive child who's running, climbing, and jumping like a chicken with his head cut off, what is the primo intervention? Give him an amphetamine, right? Um, so how does that make sense, right? You have the most hyperactive kid in the class. Let's give him an upper and see what happens. Little Johnny's going to be sitting quietly in his seat paying attention. And, in fact, little Johnny might take that upper and be so sedated that he loses his personality and his parents take him off of it. So uh, there is this inverse effect, and that's what we see with people self-medicating with caffeine. And it's not a great intervention because it's short-acting. It causes a crash. Um, It's not ideal. Nobody's recommending that. It's just happening. Yeah, so you would advise adults to... Stop that and come get formally assessed? Absolutely. I, I do not support caffeine as a medicinal effort to treat a diagnosis. I'm just checking because, you know, where I work, there's a, a lot of people who come in and they're just amped up, and I don't know if they're on meth or on caffeine or what they're doing. Or, if they <laughs> or just ADHD. ADHD. Yeah. yeah. It, it could be all three of the above. <laughs> Even. I know, I know. <laughs> so I know you're not a, I know you're a psychologist, and you're not mm-hmm. a psychiatrist. And the difference for our listeners is a psychiatrist is a medical doctor who can prescribe psychotropic medications, and a psychologist cannot do that. So I know you're not a psychiatrist, but I was wondering if you would feel comfortable commenting on what types of medications are usually prescribed for those adults diagnosed with ADHD? 
Well, I mean, I could comment on them. I'm, I'm not as familiar with the real biochemistry, but, you know, the most common ones we hear of are like the Adderall and the Ritalin, um, sort of newer, newer age ones come into terms like Vyvanse and Stratera. Sometimes people are using Wellbutrin. Um, there's a number of medications that are prescribed. And, you know, I'm not entirely sure what goes into each physician's thought pattern as far as why they choose what they choose. Um, so I think there are some, you know, issues that come into formularies on certain, um, you know, HMOs. And, you know, there's obviously politics and money involved with what gets prescribed where. And um, certain patients will come in very specifically requesting a certain medication because they've tried others and they haven't worked and this one works. So, you know, there there is some nuances to these medicines. And, you know, I always defer to the expertise of my colleagues in the field who went to medical school and seemed to understand the biochemics involved. Yes, well, I've often had uh, college students come in wanting Ritalin or Adderall because it helps them study. And I've, oh, yeah. Always been, yeah, I've always been confused whether they just want a stimulant or whether they really get help in studying from taking these medications. These are questions that are rhetorical and that I can't really answer because I don't prescribe medication either. Mm-hmm. But, um, Casey, if people suspect that they do have ADHD, we'll just use that term and dispense with ADHD. Sure. What would sure. you suggest they do? If they suspect that they have it? Yeah, what would your advice be to them? Like they can't focus and they, they are listening to this program and they go, oh, my gosh, that's me. What would you suggest well, they do? I think the first thing they should do is, is really spend a few minutes thinking about why they can't focus. Because if you just started a new job or, you know, and it's in an industry that you don't have a passion for or you're pursuing a career that your parents want you to have, like you're trying to be an engineer to follow in your dad's footsteps, but you really want to be an artist and you just can't concentrate on that engineer class, you know, that that needs to be figured out first. If you have medical diagnoses that you know you're not treating, if you have depression that you know you're experiencing and you just can't concentrate, I think it's very important to do some soul searching because it's easy to latch onto ADHD as if I just can't concentrate, I just can't focus, and it must be that. Um, so I always encourage people to look upstream to try to find out what is the origin. And you may be able to do that discovery yourself, and that's, if you can't, I think that's where the mental health professionals come in, where you can seek a formal evaluation to try to figure out diagnostically whether we're talking about an attention deficit disorder or something else. Because if it's not ADHD, it's probably something else, like a medical problem, a chemical issue, or, or, or a mood problem. Yeah, yeah, so I always think mood, medical, or substance. Like, that's kind of the, the big three. Does so, anxiety... You know, I think yeah, anxiety does, is oftentimes yeah. the origin of someone's reported attention deficit. And we get this a lot in the clinic where people come in, they have long-term untreated anxiety, whether that's even secondary to traumatic stress or even personality factors. Uh, people come in and they they will say yes to that long list of criteria that I rattled off at the beginning of the show. And they say yes to every single criteria 
Um, but there is another criteria buried underneath that says these symptoms must not be attributable to another diagnosis, and that's where people are in, are ruled out of having ADHD and confirmed to have an anxiety disorder. So, you know, that's well, the job of the professionals to help figure that, okay. that out for you. Well, we're coming up on a break, so listeners, we are talking to Dr. Broadhead about ADD and ADHD, and we will be right back. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners. This is Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are talking to Dr. Casey Broadhead this morning about ADD or ADHD. I'm totally confused, Casey, about what to really call it. But um, <laughs> Whatever's easiest. Okay. I want to ask you, because I know many high school and college students struggle with an inability to focus on homework or tests, and I see them in my practice. What would you recommend for them to do? Are you asking for that specific population? Yes. So kind of like a approaching college. adulthood population, yeah. college and high school? College, high school, and, and their grades suffer for it. They just can't focus. Well, what would you recommend to them? Well, I, I think... As I said earlier, I think part of the diagnostic evaluation and also kind of the insight approach is to is to try to look within yourself and say, are all of my bases covered? Am I sleeping well enough? Am I frustrated with my roommate? Am I not tolerating this adjustment to college well? Um, 
just because you can't concentrate doesn't mean you have ADHD. So I think it's important to differentiate and do some soul searching, as I said, to try to figure out where did this come from. And if you feel like you've got all your bases covered, you're sleeping well, your diet is healthy, you know, you have a good schedule, you're not stressed, you're emotionally well, and you still can't concentrate, then I suggest seeking professional help, getting an evaluation to find out if this is really just an issue of, you know, you picked the wrong major, or maybe you need to get some interventions. And then you can start to hone in on the diagnosis and sort of embody the, the treatment, which could look like structuring your life a little differently. Maybe what you used to do in high school doesn't work anymore in college because you're a little more independent, your mom's not hovering over you. You know, there could be reasons why this particular diagnosis starts to express itself in early adulthood more so than it did in childhood. Yes, and I was wondering, is ADD and ADD, ADHD, are they more prevalent in men or in women? Do you know? You know, I think that the research is a little skewed on this because of social factors. So for women, again, I'll just use sort of the word stereotypically. Stereotypically, uh, it's not okay for a little girl or a woman to be running, climbing, jumping, and interrupting people. So we kind of have these, these gender roles, if, for lack of better words, that people fall into, where it's sort of okay for, you know, little Johnny to run around and be that way, but for a, for a girl it's not. And I'm oversimplifying this just to kind of prove a point that I think a lot of people fly under the radar, in particular uh, women. And I see this uh, as someone who works in, in one capacity solely with adults seeking assessment for ADHD. We have a lot of... Um, you know, early middle career uh, young professional women coming in um, seeking this diagnosis saying, I've flown under the radar all along. Um, and partially, I think there is some sort of gender expression where women, at least uh, from my experience, tend to maybe gravitate a little bit more towards the inattentive type. And these folks go unnoticed. Again, if you think back to that metaphorical classroom I've been providing, you know, if you see one kid up on the roof and you see another kid quietly staring out the window, everybody's going to notice the kid on the roof. But nobody right. notices, you know, little Susie who's just quietly staring out the window. So because the symptoms are less overt in the inattentive flavor, call it ADD, um, people tend to fly under the radar, especially if they're quietly successful in early childhood academics because that's the main metric that we can see dysfunction is great. And I know parents who have daughters who are inattentive, and the daughters mm -hmm. seem to get in trouble for not doing so well in school. So I think mm -hmm. you make a really important point. If that is happening with your little kids, if you're, especially mm -hmm. your daughters, get them assessed. And I, yeah. I know, Casey, that we've touched on this next question I want to ask you, but maybe you could go over it again. And helping your patients create some structure in their lives. I know it helps them. What would you say about that, and how would you assist them in structuring their lives? So we know that, yeah, structure is good, but how do you assist mm -hmm. people in creating structure in their lives? So I encourage people to, to think a lot about their environment. Um, I gave the kind of quiet library, busy Starbucks example earlier, uh, but that that 
can be transposed into the home environment. For example, if you're going to have an important conversation with your spouse, should you have the football game on at the same time? You know, I, I think that sort of sells the point home a little bit that, that the environment matters tremendously. If you're trying to do homework, you know, what distractions? Where are you sitting? Um, some of the interventions for children include, like, giving them a, a ball to sit on rather than a, a stiff chair um, so that they can kind of get that kinetic energy out a little bit. Some people have desks that have little pedals underneath so that they can pedal like a bicycle or a treadmill, depending on your resources. So, you know, we're talking about really practical behavioral interventions that people may not think of off the bat, uh, but when you really own and embody the diagnosis and it becomes part of your identity, then you can say, wait a second, I operate differently. I can't do my taxes while I'm listening to America's web radio. <laughs> I need to... <laughs> have some, um, you know, silence while I do this, this particularly challenging task. Um, when I'm studying for homework, that's when I need to turn down the lights because, you know, or, or pull the blinds up because I find myself staring out the window. So I, I think that the, it's, it's unique. There is no specific menu we can give people, but when we start to think about sensory organs, you know, sight, sound, smells, um, you can start to say, how much of these can I sort of tone down, turn the volume down on? Um, and, and that, I think, is where, where we find most of the environmental interventions. I think that's really important for our listeners who are faced with this. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to my patients, who I mentioned at the beginning of the program. And mm -hmm. both of those people, the husband and the wife, were unhappy in their relationship due to be diagnosed with ADD. So sure. it's my sense that ADD and ADHD can really negatively impact a relationship. How would you guide folks who are in a relationship with someone who has ADD or ADHD? Well, as, as with any uh, healthy relationship, uh, communication is key. So I, I think that it needs to be out there and in the open that, that this is what we're dealing with so that we can name it, operationalize it, and that way both sides of the relationship can respect each other. In other words, if you know that your spouse has ADHD, don't flood them with a bunch of meticulous details at 8 o'clock in the morning at the time that they're driving to work in traffic. They're not going to retain that information. Um, a funny example I give is, you know, if, if you call your spouse and they're driving to work at 8 in the morning in traffic, I'm trying to set the stage here, and you say, hey, honey, on your way home from work in eight hours, please don't forget the beans, the cheese, the egg, the milk, the toilet paper, and to gas up the car. <laughs> your spouse is probably going to forget one or two or all of those things, and then you're going to feel disrespected when they come home empty-handed. So part of that has to do with, the requester, who may not have ADHD, needs to know that that's not a good time. Maybe their spouse does better in written communication for detailed lists like that. Maybe they do better with a reminder call closer to the time of the event. Um, but then again, the person sitting in traffic feeling overwhelmed who has ADHD needs to assert themselves and say, wait a second, hey, honey, I don't do well <laughs> when I'm given yeah. long lists. Uh, with, you know, juggling three spinning plates in my hand at the same time. Is there any chance you could text me that list? That way I'll be sure I get everything that you need before I get home tonight. 
So we're talking about both sides of the relationship collaborating around this. Good. Now I have Another two example. quick questions. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I have, two quick, I have two more quick questions for you, Dr. Broadhead. Uh-huh. So I understand that those people with ADD and ADHD tend to become addicted to drugs and alcohol. In just like a few sentences, could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, for my doctoral dissertation, um, I focus on the topic of uh, what, I, what is called in the field the self-medication hypothesis, uh, which is that people use specific substances to alleviate specific states of distress. So I, I do believe in this, although the research is not super compelling, um, but it, it tends to be the case that, that people have some functional reason why they use what they use. Um, and usually later in recovery, people can start to identify that through insight-oriented work. So I, I think it's very common for people with ADHD to be reaching out, trying to find some solution for this sort of neurologically-based imbalance that they have within themselves. So if they're using a sedative, for example, like alcohol or, or opiates or marijuana for some people, um, it will sort of calm down those racing thoughts. It'll pull down that that sort of psychomotor, restless, fidgety energy, um, and they finally don't feel like they're crawling out of their skin at all times of the day. Um, unfortunately, it comes hey. at a cost <laughs> um, yeah. beyond so just I'm, moderating symptoms. 30 seconds left before our program okay. is over. Are people with ADD and ADHD, do they tend to become hoarders? And that's just like a yes or no. Or I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with a no, um, just okay. because that is a separate, independent diagnosis. There may be some clinical association, um, but I don't know if it's a it's a one way street on that. <laughs> like if you have All ADHD, right. therefore you become a hoarder. Probably not. So, Dr. Broadhead, I know you have a private practice. We will put your um, email address. Is that okay on my website? Fantastic. So yeah. People can can contact you. And I want to Certainly. thank you so much for such uh, in, in great information today. It's been a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks and for having me. And sometime in the near future, as I said, we will discuss childhood ADD and ADHD with Dr. Tully. And in the meantime, listeners, thank you. I've received many messages and questions and comments from you, and I'm working diligently to get back to you in a timely manner. Until next week. This is Dr. Ann saying, remember, only you have the power to create the world you want it to be. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.